This is Dr. Kate Walker reminding you that I am not that kind of doctor. Not only that, I'm not a CPA and I am not an attorney. Laws change all of the time, so Texas counselors creating badass businesses should never be construed as legal advice. Always check with your trusted professionals. Now, let's get to work. Welcome to Texas Counselors Creating Badass Businesses, where it's all about working smarter, not harder. And here's your host, Dr. Kate Walker, who always has to arrive 30 minutes before the movie starts. Hey, it's Dr. Kate Walker, and today I am interviewing Dr. Paul Carolla, counselor educator extraordinaire from the University of Texas, El Paso. And if you have been wondering how to bridge the gap from graduate school to LPC associate, wonder no more. He's going to explain it all to us today on Texas Counselors Creating Badass Businesses. Let's get to work. It's Dr. Kate Walker. Welcome to my interview with Dr. Paul Carolla, who is a faculty member and assistant associate professor. Yeah, associate. <laughs> Thank you. In the counseling department, the mental health program at the University of Texas, El Paso. And he knows all things LPC associate. And I'm going to uh, just ask him tons of questions to make sure that we get down to the answer because he is the president of the of the Texas Association for Counselor Education and Supervision or past president now, right? Okay. Anything you want to add to that intro? Uh, great to great to be with you, Kate. Um, I think these kind of that there's a gap between I think student uh, being a student and being licensed that I think is very confusing for a lot of students, and we do our best to try to communicate to our students what they need to do, but I think there's still across the state, there's a lot of uncertainty with what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So I'm really happy to talk about this topic. And it changes every semester, right? I mean, it seems to. And so it's hard to even make these videos and then carry them over because something's going to be different. So I really appreciate you doing this. No problem. All right. So I'm just going down the list. How do I become an LPC associate in Texas? Right. So um, what, what's required for the LPC associate license is having a master's degree in counseling or related field, an academic degree, um, an accredited from accredited, you know, institution. Um, and it can be counseling or related field it needs to be 60 hour program. Um, there's academic requirements. If you look on the LPC uh, BHEC website, they have, you know, administrative Texas administrative code will actually list all the specific things. Um, and I can send that information out uh, mm-hmm. so people can look at it. It'll say um, the academic content, the classes and everything. And that's kind of tricky because it changes sometimes. The LPC board will change requirements at times. So we really want to make sure you're up to date with what the current requirements are. Um, so in addition to academic requirements, um, need to pass the NCE, which is the licensure exam that Texas uses. Now, what's there's some confusing things about that, the NCE, which I can talk about, um, because the state allows two exams to be used for licensure. One is the NCE, National Counselor Exam. The other one is the 
clinical mental health counselor exam, the national clinical mental health counselor exam. That acronym is like a mouthful, so I don't even say it. Um, but the, but really it's the NCE. And I say that because um, the only reason the other exam is there is for student, usually people that come from other states where that where they took that exam, because some states require that exam instead of the NCE. Um, it's really difficult to take that national clinical mental health counselor exam if you haven't taken the NCE. Um, and it's uh, I, the NCE is a more foundational exam. It's multiple choice, similar to what a lot of preparation exams will give you and, and, and program and your academic program. The national clinical mental health counselor exam is a more complicated exam. It's based on scenarios and you have to select the most correct answers and it's, it's a more complicated uh, exam. Uh, and so really we should be preparing our students and you should be prepared to take the NCE for licensure. Um, there's a lot, there's other, you know, there's an application packet that has, now there's fingerprinting and background check required. Um, you need to have a supervisory agreement. So you need to find an LPC supervisor, must be an LPC supervisor, right? Um, that question gets asked uh, a lot. Who can who can supervise you? Um, and there's a lot I can talk about. I know you might have some questions about the LP, the supervision parts on, but there's a lot I have to say about that. Um, but as far as the application, so you need the degree, you need the exam, you need um, background check and a supervisory agreement, and you also need what's called a jurisprudence exam, which is a no fail exam. And that exam basically uh, goes when no fail means that if you take it, you miss some questions. They say you take it again or you keep doing it till you get it right. And so it's basically highlighting issues that the OPC board has seen. Here are some violations we've seen, things that if people have done um, wrong, right, people, where people have messed up. And so we want to whether it's documentation um you know, dual relationships, whatever it is, whatever they're seeing the most problems in, they're going to put that in the jurisprudence exam. So it changes, right? But it's a no-fail exam. So they're trying to reinforce some some information to you. And that's pretty much, you know, the packet has a, you know, there's different forms you need in the packet, but that's basically the application packet. So how do I take, if I'm a student, if I'm a grad student, how do I take the NCE? Do I take it before I graduate? Do I take it after I graduate? How do, how does that work? So that is, has changed recently. Um, before you used to have to have graduated, you had to submit your transcripts and they would verify that you graduated from a program. Um, now you can take the exam while you're a student. Now here's the confusing part that students mess up they don't mess it up. They just kind of, uh, they get caught in this little situation. So you can take the NCE for two reasons, licensure or credentialing, right? Now, um, the, the NCE allows you to be credentialed as a nationally certified counselor. That's the national exam is used for that credential. It's also the state of Texas chooses that as their licensure exam. So because there's those two pathways to take it, when you go online, you may, you need to make sure you're selecting exam for taking exam for licensure, because if you're a student and you want to take it, they, they will let you take it as a student as well for um, credentialing. But it's a much more complicated application process. They ask you, you need permission from the faculty in your program to take it. And it's something that 
the program organizes with the with NC uh, NBCC so that students can get on track to get that credential. Um, they can take it early. Now, because you can take the exam for licensure as a student now, there's no need to, to do to go that route. Take it when you if you're a student, take the exam for licensure. You can always get the credential. Once you've taken the exam, you can get the NCE, um, the NCC, Nationally Certified Counselor, later, right? Mm -hmm. But it's a much, it's a very simple process to take it for licensure um, when you're a student. So you have to make sure, and there's specific links, you know, and you always look, you know, um, if you go to the website, make sure uh, to for examination, register to take examination for licensure, mm -hmm. right? Credentialing. I mean, uh, they're, they're two different things. I know credentialing can mean licensure too sometimes, but they're talking about the nationally certified counselor credential. In Texas, so, that doesn't really mean anything, right? I yeah, mean, I mean, it's... yeah, I mean, it, it's something if you want to, you can have something extra on your, uh, another credential on your name. And maybe if you move to another state, that can maybe, you know, you carry that credential mm -hmm. with you. Uh, maybe the licensing board over there will say, okay, you have the credential Maybe that can carry some weight there. Um, but yeah, the license is what you need, right? That's what you mm -hmm. need to practice is the license. Mm -hmm. So taking the NCE then, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the website, I'm going to click the link, I'm going to make sure that I'm taking it for licensure. Uh, you mentioned only an LPC supervisor can supervise an LPC associate. So as a, a grad student, I've got to find an LPC supervisor to sign my paperwork, right? So yeah, you need you need to have that supervisory agreement. And so, what every student should be doing during practicum and internship, they should be networking. There's going to be LPC supervisors at your practicum and internship. Maybe they're not going to be the ones that are going to supervise you, or maybe you're not. Um, maybe, but you need to talk to them. You need to talk to your site supervisor about supervision. Sometimes they'll have an LPC supervision license. Sometimes they won't. But they're going to know people that do. And so during that time, you're building, you're networking, you are, um, you need, you need to, um, this is the process that I recommend, right? You, you need, you're learning about supervision when you're a student. And so you have an idea in your mind, what you want out of supervision, different people will want different things, right? Sometimes you may want a specific skill that a supervisor has during assessment or some intervention, right? Mm -hmm. You may want someone who's willing to, who has a lot of access, you have a lot of access to. Um, sometimes, honestly, people, they, they just want to have a supervisor that's at their place of employment. So it's part of a package deal, right? So everyone has a different kind of priority list of what they want out of supervision. So you need to list what's important for you out of supervision. Um, and then you need to look uh, for supervisors and you need to interview them during your practicum and internship. Set up interviews, at least two to three supervisors, LPC supervisors. And maybe um, initially you're just, like I said, you'll see some LPC supervisors. Just meet with them and ask them about supervision, how they do supervision. What, what, what do they look for in LPC associates, right? Um, obviously, you want to have a good, um, you know, you want to be able to have good references from your faculty, your professors. Um, but you want to, by the time you're graduating, you don't want to be in the situation, oh, now what do I do? 
You already want to have a plan in place. By the time you're finishing internship two, your last semester, you should already have in mind, if not already know who your supervisor is going to be, you should have an idea who that it's going to be one or two, the, a group of people, right? Some people that you have in mind already. So, um, you know, and, and you, you should already know what that supervisor's expectations are, and they should know what your expectations of supervision are. Um, so that time as a student is really a great time to learn about supervision. So you know how you, you know, you don't have always have a choice when you're a student who's going to be your supervisor. You do have a choice when for your licensure, for supervision for licensure. It's a two-way street, right? When you interview them, they're interviewing you and you're interviewing them. You want to know, are they going to meet your expectations? And they want to know, are you going to meet their expectations? So um, you should feel a bit more empowered by the time you graduate to be a little bit more um, assertive with what you want out of supervision. I'm Dr. Kate Walker, and this episode is brought to you by the 40-hour training to become a supervisor in Texas. Not just any training, but the Kate Walker 40-hour LPC LMFT supervisor training completely online. It's the only all-in-one 40-hour LPC LMFT supervisor training course and community designed to grow your skill set and give you more research-based resources all in less than 30 minutes a day. No bots, no BS, just a great course to get you up to supervisor. The Kate Walker Training 40-hour LPC LMFT supervisor training course. Check it out. So one of the questions in, in dovetailing off of that is this idea of what is a direct hour, right? So if I'm going to be, if I know I'm going to be a school counselor, it's important that I get a supervisor who understands what a direct hour is in a school setting versus if they have no idea what a school counselor does and what is, right? Because what do you teach? What do you teach students is a direct hour. All right. So we have a... Um... We have a very specific, for when they're students, we have specific categories of what direct client contact means, right? However, the, the short answer I give students when they say, uh, what counts as direct when, you're get, when I'm getting my licenses? You know what counts as direct? Whatever your supervisor mm-hmm. says counts as direct. Mm-hmm. Your supervisor decides what is direct and what they send off from your hours. So it's their discretion. Some some may say, you know what, um, you're co-facilitating a group. I'm going to count that. Another may say, no, that doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Or you're shadowing. Maybe there might be a supervisor says, well, that that counts. Another will say, no, it doesn't count. Um, so there's some obviously there's going to be some gray area. Um, you know, I'm doing uh, I'm doing client contact. I'm I'm calling clients, or I'm I'm having doing consultation with a parent about the the their about their child who is a client. Does that count? You know, so there's some gray mm-hmm. area and every supervisor has different ideas about that. So you need to discuss that with your site, with when you're t- looking at who the site supervisor is going to be. So it hundred percent depends on your site supervisor, <laughs> right? On what it counts as a direct or a non-direct hour. And I want to, I want to ask the next one about accreditation 
But I think this is important to dovetail off of that because the idea of being self-employed, right? Because you are allowed to accrue direct hours in a self-employed setting, but it's back to this, if your supervisor says it's okay, right? I mean, if if your supervisor is not comfortable supervising self-employed hours, you won't be able to work or create or or do anything in that setting, right? It's ultimately right. up to the supervisor. Yeah, I, and I think you know they put uh, you know supervisors are responsible for their supervisees, right? So a supervisor is going to want to supervise someone who doing something they have competency in. So if you're going to be in a private practice off the bat, it's probably a good idea to look for a supervisor who has a lot of private practice experience, so they can kind of guide you with that. You don't want to select, and I know sometimes people will think, well, I want someone who's just, I know students don't think this, but sometimes we think, maybe they think, I just want someone who's going to sign off for my hours. No, that's not what you want. (laughs) You want someone who has expertise in what you're going to be doing. So um, yes, any LPC supervisor could hypothetically supervise you if you're in private practice. And some may even agree to do it if they don't have any experience in private practice, but I would not recommend if you're that student who's going to graduate and you're wanting to go into private practice right away, I would not recommend having a site supervisor who doesn't have experience in private practice. I would really seek out a supervisor that has that experience because you want that support. You want to be able to go to supervision and say, I have this issue that's specific about private practice, and they can be able to actually respond to it. And if they're maybe working in a school and they've never done private practice, they're going to be like, well, I don't know. You don't want to be in that situation where you have a urgent situation and your site supervisor doesn't, or your supervisor doesn't know. Yeah, I think that's a huge point. All right, I'm going to back up because you said earlier when uh, students are applying, you have to have a master's degree from an accredited institution. And I want to make sure that we yes. understand that doesn't necessarily mean KCREP accredited. It's just an accredited un- university. And right. so talk a little bit about that. So KCREP accreditation, right? It's a national accreditation that is really, um, uh, it's really good because it standardizes a lot of things that we do in preparing students. But the licensure for Texas, being licensed in Texas, does not require that you graduate from a KCREP accredited program, right? There's some obvious differences in what Texas requires and uh, the KCREP requires. Um, there's a lot of similarities, but there's some differences too. And at some point, as we were saying before, things change. Mm-hmm. Who knows? In the future, it could change. Um, but at this point, it's not required. When when it means by accredited institution, it means the regional institutional accreditation, right? Programs are accredited by like, you know, uh, KCREP, right? Or specifically, of whether it's nursing or whatever kind of program it is, they have accreditation for that specific uh, focus, Right. But universities or institutions have regional accreditation, like the one we have is SACS in Texas, usually Southern Association of Accredited Colleges, right? Which means that um, there our institution meets certain standards, right? And it's just basically has to do with different metrics, graduation rates and certain outcome data that they collect, but it's for the whole university. So the whole university covers that accreditation. And if your university has that accreditation, it meets the, the that requirement uh, for licensure that says you need to be accredited institution. 
So if I don't come and I see threads sometimes on social media where they talk about, you know, gosh, I didn't come from a KCREP, going back to this idea of KCREP in the program accreditation, right? I didn't come from a KCREP accreditation. How do I make sure that my application goes through smoothly? And I know UTEP is KCREP accredited, so, you know, it's hard to speak to that. But for your students, they know when they put their application in, it's going to be pretty quick because staff knows what to look for. Non-KCREP accredited, they might have to include or get real specific and make sure that they have a syllabus ready if they're asked for it, or they have some other information about a course if staff comes back and it might delay their application a bit. Yeah, I mean, so it's really, you want to do your due diligence and looking at the academic content mm-hmm. requirements that state, you know, all the different areas that are required. Like an example, KCRAP has the eight core areas. Texas OPC board is a little bit different, right? A lot of overlap, but it's not the exact same eight core areas. There's things like uh, addiction and, and, and things that are a little bit different. So you want to look at that content area, that course content requirement, and look at your transcripts. Does it easily match up? Does the name of a class, like say, you know, addictions is a a um, one of the content areas, then do you have a class that says addictions or maybe substance abuse or something similar? If it says something that's not quite that, like, um, you know, then you need, may need to be ready with the syllabus. And, and there's some mm-hmm. classes that there's like abnormal, the names are like abnormal human behavior, then there's psychopathology. Well, those are kind of the same, but, you know, you want to make sure that, if the name is different, um, if the name of the class is a little bit different, then you have that syllabus ready and you make sure that it meets that um, the, the, what that content area is. So right. having the syllabus um, and but reviewing your transcripts ahead of time, because sometimes you may find out that, you know what, I'm missing this. And if you're missing mm-hmm. something, oh, I, I need to take uh, a marriage and family class. Oh, my gosh because that's part of the requirement and I, I didn't take it in my program, right? Addiction, I think those are two I'm thinking of, addictions and marriage and family, um, that is not, uh, it's not a KCREP core standard, mm-hmm. right? But it's required in L, for LPC course content um, for, for application. So you wanna look to make sure if anything's missing. If anything's missing, take that, you need to find a way to take that class, right? So that's my follow-up, and I know we're running out of time, but I get asked a lot by graduate students in an LPC track, well, can I go sit for the LMFT exam, right? right? So how how does how does right. that work? So some programs will offer the, uh, the, the um, LMFT course content, so it's, it's going to be what's on your transcripts. Okay. So and you need to look at the LMFT uh, licensure code. It has specific course content, and I think off the top of my head, there's like um, you have to take about, uh, I think, like four or five classes specific to mm-hmm. marriage and family. And in your practicum and internship, it has to show that you did some marriage and yeah, family. Yeah, there's extra practicum, there's extra right. ethics, and yeah. So you need to make sure that look at those requirements and then see what your program is missing. So maybe, you know, you took like three classes in your master's program. So it didn't meet the requirement and say, okay, I need to take two more classes and I need to do maybe a practicum or I need to find out how that's going to work. Right. So, so you can still meet those requirements afterwards, but you really need to look at what those requirements are and see where the gaps are. Mm -hmm. 
That's what I did. I graduated with a 36-hour program back in the day. So I had to go back and pick up a lot of hours so that I could sit for my exams and, and get my license. So anything else you want to throw out there that students need to know as they're on their journey to become an associate? Yeah, I would say that now because of, um, you know, the technology and virtual spaces that are now available now and such high prevalence that a distance supervision is something that is possible now, right? And so think about that, but don't automatically jump on, oh, I'm going to do distance supervision. Think of it has to be a good fit for you, right? You ask yourself, um, do I really want someone who's local here that has knowledge about, you know, the the agencies here and the professionals here and what's going on in my community? Or, or do I just need someone who has a, maybe there's someone who has a specific skill that's not where locally where I'm at, then that might be an option for you. So it's a new option, but just, I think, think, uh, be thoughtful about it. And before you decide, oh yeah, I'm just going to do distance supervision, right? Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Carolla from the University of Texas El Paso Mental Health Program and counseling expert and TASE's past president on who knows all things supervision. Um, this was great information. So thanks everybody for watching. I'm Dr. Kate Walker. Thank you so much for listening to Texas Counselors Creating Badass Businesses. Thank you to Ridgely Walker for her lovely voiceovers at our introduction. And do me a favor, when you get a second, please like, share, and subscribe, and write us a review. That's really how we get picked up by other RSS feeds, and we get this information out to the mental health badasses who need it. Thanks again, and keep saving the world with excellent therapy.